Hear the word of the Lord. Here's another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree and birds come and make nests in its branches. Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. This is the word of the Lord. God, you may be seated. Good morning. Peace be with you. Welcome to Sojourn Community Church. My name is Jonah. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, I'm excited this morning. Could be the coffee. Uh, could be any number of things. We've got a, a baptism happening, Baptism Sunday. That's something we get excited about. All right, put your helmets on. Uh, also, you know, moment in history, historic floods. Uh, so you're here, which means it was okay for you, I guess. Uh, out of solidarity for the, the city of New Albany, we allowed the church to get flooded too. So we're just, we're with you. Um, and pray for generous insurance appraisers, or I don't know what you call them, but... Uh, yeah, so the downstairs is flooded, uh, the church hall flooded, and you're like, didn't we repair that? We did, but it's a historic flood, I guess, uh, and we just wanted you guys to feel at home, so if you, if you flooded at home, we flooded here for you too. Um, another thing, uh, we're in this section talking about the parables of Jesus, and the last few weeks, including this week, we've been talking about the kingdom of God, and these are all these ways Jesus explains what the kingdom of God is like, and he It's real clear if you think about the Lord's Prayer that we just did. Jesus teaches us to pray uh, that, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice he didn't say your will be done on the church as it is in heaven, or your will be done on Sunday mornings as it is in heaven, or for those who go to seminary as it is, you know, it's the whole earth, right? So there's, we're going to talk about this here in a second, but God has plans and designs that are all-encompassing for every aspect of human life. And we want to be a church that tries to step in and equip people to live and be transformed in in all aspects of life. That's why we have that how we grow wall out there to see. We've got stuff that talks about uh, what does the gospel have to say about your work or about your marriage or about your children or about the way you take care of your home, you know, this entire picture. And we, we want to be a church that displays a different way of life to the world around us. What does it look like to live in the kingdom of God? And, and one of the coolest ways we do that, one of the uh, things that makes me excited to be a part of our church is, is this thing called Fresh Stop Market. Uh, it's put on a, by an organization called New Roots. And what they do is they partner with local organizations to kind of do pop-up farmer's market. And so if you guys were here last year, we were, uh, for a few weeks, I don't, I don't know if overall, but for a few weeks, we, we were the largest Fresh Stop Market in the entire Louisville region, meeting right here in our neighborhood. And so that, uh, right here in our parking lot. And, and what Fresh Stop will do is partner with farmers within about a hundred mile radius to provide fresh, uh, organic, very healthy produce, and we sell it to people in the neighborhood, and it's income-based. So uh, if you're able to afford more, what you pay for this mountain of vegetables and produce helps offset the costs for people in our neighborhood. And if you live in this neighborhood, if you could walk to church this morning, your best food option within one mile of you, so within walking distance, is the Dollar General up on Vincennes. And you know, leave something to be desired. And so we want to be a church that says, hey, 
where can I learn about food? Where can I learn to take care of my body? Or where can I go to get great food? We want to say Sojourn Community Church because we're the kingdom of God. And at the kingdom of God, you have healthy food that's actually good for your body and you can afford it. And so we're, we're starting to ramp up for our next season of Fresh Stop Market. If you look on the back of your bulletin, there's a couple of ways. If you want to learn more about how to participate in that, there's a couple of things coming up. So check that out and uh, come if you'd like. And also... We've got a Bible study going. We've, we've been hearing this for a long time. Uh, like, why doesn't the church do a Bible study? To which we usually respond, why don't you do a Bible study, right? Like, we don't want everything to run through the church, but some things can run through the church. So if you want to learn about the Bible, it's, it's discussion-based, so it's partially designed to help you grow in relationships with others in the church. Come out Sunday nights. Uh, it's taught by all kinds of different people in the church, and so you hear some, some cool perspectives. So there's that. That's your bulletin insert in here. Looks like that. Now... Kingdom of God, back again. Uh, oh, if you're new, fill out a Connect card. That's the easy way to do it. Drop it off the welcome table. Have a nice conversation with the man or woman running the Connect table. And that's how you can get to know us here. So uh, if, you, if you're paying attention a little bit, we read three verses uh, this morning. Three verses from Matthew chapter 13. Uh, we were in Matthew 13 last week, and this is what follows what came last week. And it's stunning to me. Uh, the depth and the power that can come in three short verses. Uh, Jesus didn't need a whole lot of airtime to say something really profound. Or the Lord's Prayer, for instance. You can memorize that in about 10 or 15 minutes. And people have been praying that for thousands of years, billions and billions of people. So the, the depth here is stunning and the brevity is stunning. And I would argue that, that these verses uh, contain world-changing power because they, change, they, they contain life-changing power. I'm not so much interested in like changing the world in the sense of us doing something great. I am really curious what would happen if uh, all of us individually, personally, in our homes experienced deep transformation. Uh, it just wouldn't help but bleed out into our jobs, into our area, into the schools, and, and who knows what could happen from there. Uh, so in Matthew 13, and imagine how aggravating this would be for you. Uh, well, I was going to ask y'all to raise your hands. Stick to the script here. I'm not going to make you do that. Think of how many books are written where someone's like, hey, I know what heaven is like, right? And it's usually I died and went to heaven, and I'm going to give you a lesson on what heaven was like. And if, you're, if you pay attention to these things, usually five to seven years later, when someone starts trying to make a movie about it, the person comes clean and says that they were kind of making it all up. You know what I'm saying? So imagine, I thought that would get a little chuckle, but whatever. This makes everyone uncomfortable because you're all buying that book, I guess. Uh, so imagine you could talk to Jesus face to face and like touch his body and you said, Jesus, what's heaven like? It's a question a lot of us are, are curious about. And he responds, well, let me tell you a little story here. Uh, th think of how maddening that would be. Uh, but this is what he does over and over in chapter 13. Last week, he's like, oh, you want to know what heaven is like? It's like a guy who's throwing seed everywhere. And then after that, uh, he's almost like a boxer with these quick jabs saying, my kingdom is like this. My kingdom is like this. It's like this. It's, these are almost metaphors of the kingdom and less parables of the kingdom, what follows after the parable of the sower. So over and over and over, he's saying, it's like this, and then it's like this, and you could think of it like this. And, and at the core of each one of these is some idea about power. And that's uncomfortable for a lot of us because I think in the United States, we have strange notions of what power is. And it, it may not be obvious to see the power that's taking place. Uh, when, when most of us, I think, consider power or say, we, you know, we wish we were powerful or that person was power hungry, we, we think of kind of the, the tyrannical CEO, the boss who walks in and says, jump. And we all have to say, how high? Or, you know, like what I say goes, the boss gets his way, this kind of domineering uh, authoritarian figure. 
But when the Bible is talking about power, and in particular, godly power, it's talking about transformation. So here's a way to think about it. Paul talks about this power in the book of Romans. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It's the, it's the power to do something. And here he's saying it's salvation. Now, salvation has almost as much baggage in the church as the word power does. Uh, so when we think of salvation, most of us think of getting heaven instead of hell, Right? So because I've been saved, I get to go to heaven instead of going to hell. Or uh, we'll maybe church it up a little bit and talk about the forgiveness of sins. And I would say that's part of it, okay? If you ever hear somebody who's saying, you know, like the power of God does not involve the forgiveness of sins, I would stop listening to that person. I would, I would move on from that, okay? But too many of us take salvation to only mean the forgiveness of sins. In the Bible, that's part of the equation, Salvation is about reconciliation and restoration. And for that to happen, sins must be forgiven. But God is taking something broken and he's seeking to make it whole. He's taking something that was separated and isolated and trying to reunite it. So he takes those that are far away and brings them back into his family. It's the Old Testament idea of shalom, which will often just get translated peace. But that's not to say like peace because we're not having world war or something like that. It's peace of mind, peace of conscience, peace of relationships, living in harmony with ourselves and in one another. It's this idea of wholeness. Uh, salvation is the power of transformation to take us from brokenness into wholeness, from isolation into union, first and foremost with God, but also with one another. And, and Paul will follow this up in Romans 1, talking about these transformations that he, he that happens by the power of the gospel. You were Jews and Gentiles, now you're the family of God. You, you were dead, now you're alive. And, and this is so important for us to understand because power, we have to get outside of our kind of American concept of power, meaning influence or, or social standing. We've seen how obsession with that can do crazy things to the church and the broader Christian culture in general, when, when we think the kingdom of God must advance through people in positions of power or influence, most of us have uh, an itch or, or a longing for some kind of power, but then we don't really know what it is. So think about, here's, here's what I mean, maybe a little bit more personally than these big scale national platform stuff. Um, how many of us are more affected by what people have done to us than what God has done for us? And here's how you know. You're like, not me, right? Because have you ever noticed a church where all the sinners are out there? <laughs> like all the people with problems are out there because we're the good church people, right? Uh, here's, here's how you know if what people have done to you speaks more loudly than what God has done for you. Where's the disconnect in your life? So think of the songs that we just sang. Um, that God's the Lord of heaven and earth, or that uh, there's a voice of sovereign grace that has drawn us in. I mean, how often do we sing, God loves us, or uh, confess God loves us, that he believes in us, that he's eager to use us? Most of us, if, if you're here at church, would confess that or acknowledge, yeah, that's true, God loves me. But then we also have been deeply wounded by other people, Maybe their words, maybe their abuses, be they physically or emotionally, maybe their betrayals. So when you look at your own life, which voice speaks louder to you? The one that says, like, 
You're a screw up and you'll never make it. You'll never be good enough. Or the voice that says, you're my beloved child who gives me great pleasure. We talk about it all the time around here, but you know, there's this, this short verse in the Old Testament that says, God rejoices over you with singing. While you're asleep, God rejoices over you. He's like a proud dad who looks at you and just starts singing softly because he doesn't want to wake you up. Which voice is louder in your life? Which, which one impacts the way you live? Kingdom power comes to us when God's voice is loudest. And when we can finally hear, you know, deep in our souls that the gospel is the power of God to completely transform us. Here's another way to know if you're, you're caught in that kind of uh, disconnect of power there. Uh, is anyone, and don't raise your hand now unless you're really bold and people will look at you, I suppose. But do, does anyone come this morning feeling stuck? You know, like there's a change that you're longing for where there's this sin that you've been struggling with. And it's like, I've been going to my Tuesday morning men's group and I've been confessing the same thing for 15 years now. Have you ever wondered what would happen if you, if you believed, if you knew that the same spirit that hovered over the waters of creation, the spirit that created the entire universe and held it together, the spirit that rose Jesus from the dead was actually living inside of you. What would happen? This morning, in three verses, Jesus is inviting us into the mystery of the gospel so we might receive power to be transformed, to become something completely new. And he's using really clever illustrations. Because first here, there's, there's this mysterious, almost secret, secretive element of this power. So imagine, imagine you come to Jesus and say, hey, what is your kingdom like? What is heaven like? And he says, well, it's, it's kind of like a mustard seed. Maybe some of you are like, I didn't even know mustard came from seeds. I guess it does. I have a moral opposition to mustard. I don't like it. But he, you're like, this is like the big question, Jesus. What is heaven like? And he says, so for those of you who don't grow stuff, here we go. Illustration time. Mustard seed. That's a human finger. Extended like this. And here, I'll excuse to use the pointer. That's the mustard seed. How bewildering would that be, right? Few Americans would look at that and say, that right there, that's power, boy. Ooh, powerful. Like, easy, man. It's early morning. Don't throw the mustard seed picture out, right? Like, it's, in, it's incredibly unassuming. It, and it's not at all obvious what that will become. It, don't drop it on your carpet, right? You won't find it. And, and then he follows this up by saying, you know, it's like, it's, it's like someone's at home making bread and she puts a little bit of yeast in the dough, but then it, it permeates everything. This, this is what he says. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Does anyone really know how yeast works? Like, I'm sure there's someone who will be like, well, the, the glycose turns with the mitochondria and the... I don't know. And there's no, there's no moment where you're like, look, look, here we go. He, here, there, it worked. You know what I mean? It's this, it's this slow, mysterious, kind of secretive thing that happens. And you put so little in it, Right? And then you get this huge dough. I don't, what would happen if you put a cup of yeast with two cups of flour? I, I don't know. Probably wouldn't be 
bread. I don't bake much. You see my problem here. It's a small thing. It's a small amount and it permeates everything. And then a mustard seed, the small, unassuming, not obvious thing turns into this gigantic tree. I had no idea mustard trees were that big. And they, they produce abundant harvest, tons of seed, and they're gigantic. And then, you know, Jesus said, and it becomes a home for birds. If you looked at this little tiny seed, no one would be like, hey, I have an idea of how we'll make a home for birds, right? Like this thing. Uh, if you throw a mustard seed at your house, your house will laugh at it. But if you put that mustard seed in the ground next to your house, you'll have a real, pro- or the next homeowner after you will probably have a real problem. So the kingdom, the power of the kingdom, it's almost a secret power. And, and what I mean by that is it's, it's mysterious. You, you don't see it coming. It, it probably won't look the way you expect it to look. It won't come the way you would guess. And then it'll mysteriously influence every part of your life, just like yeast and the dough. Don't make the mistake of thinking Jesus has come to like steal a couple hours from you on Sunday. If you allow the power of his kingdom to come into your life, everything is gonna be affected. So like, spoiler alert, he's gonna talk about your money. He's gonna talk about your sexuality. He's gonna talk about the way you raise kids, the way you go to work, uh, the way you rest, the way you play. Like, he's gonna talk about everything to you. And we often won't, won't see it coming. To, to put it in a little more of biblical language, the kingdom looks more like a baby being born than a king with an army. So how, how many of us, when we think about overthrowing the powers and principalities of this present darkness, would, I mean, wouldn't most of us say, okay, well, we've got to get plenty of ammo. We've got to get our hands on some tanks, maybe some F-22s, a couple of Patriot missiles to intercept. You know, like we're thinking military power and God's plan to overthrow Satan and rescue humanity starts with a little baby. I mean, this is so confusing and, and unexpected. And it's not just for us. I mean, this is why people were so confused at the mission of Jesus. And so many people thought the crucifixion was a great defeat to the cause of Christ and the kingdom of God, because no one expected a savior to come and die. They expected a savior to come and lead an army. And yet, like if you're reading the Bible, you'll see the pattern is suffering comes before glory. Crucifixion comes before resurrection. Good Friday comes before Easter. The Savior comes to conquer, not through military force, but through his own suffering. And that Savior is coming to bring his transforming power to everything. Like if you come to church thinking like, I'm just gonna get a little self-improvement today, or I've really made a mess in my life. Maybe you did something dumb last week and you're like, I, I gotta go to church to try to clean up my act and, and get right with God. Like Jesus is not looking at a mild incremental improvement in your life. He's seeking for you to become something entirely new. And so this mysterious power of the gospel will often feel disorienting because in many ways, life in the kingdom up becomes down and down becomes up. The best way to live is to die. If anyone would save their life, they must lose it. If anyone would be first, they must be last. If an enemy strikes you, turn the other cheek. What should you do to your enemies? Pray for them. If you, if you want to experience the power of Christ's kingdom, you have to accept an invitation into a grand mystery. 
the power of Christ comes to us in hard to see ways. And, and listen, if you're only looking for the miraculous or the, the noteworthy or the stuff that shows up on a stage in Sunday mornings, you will likely miss it. And how small or, or maybe distorted our faith must be to think that the power of God can't show up through seemingly endless rounds of diaper changing or your kid getting the flu for the fourth time in a row, or a job that's boring and hard. You know, people, back when they had patients, uh, people would dedicate themselves to hard, boring jobs to learn how to slow their mind to hear the voice of God. Like, to think that the power of God can't come to us in subtle, ordinary, even disorienting ways. This is what makes the power of the gospel um, Hard to see. It's mysterious. We don't always know when it's at work, and it'll often seem ordinary, and it'll be disorienting because it'll often feel like dying before it feels like coming alive. So we have to embrace the fact that there is a mysterious, unassuming, hard-to-spot power when it comes to the kingdom of God. We won't necessarily see it coming. And then Jesus, as he's talking through this, sneaks something in here that I don't it's hard to say, was this in his mind? But, you know, he's God, so maybe it was. Uh, that I think he knew would drive Americans crazy 2,000 years later. Uh, so he, he's talking about this mustard seed, and this is what he says. He says, it's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. And the word he sneaks in there is becomes. Because there's an implication of time there, right? Uh, it's silly to think that we like throw a seed in the ground or like it's some kind of magic trick. You take yeast and throw it on flour and then dough appears, right? There's this gradual developmental journey this little seed goes on to go from being a seed into this gigantic plant. And it doesn't become a huge plant overnight. It's, It's a tiny, unimpressive seed, but it becomes, it becomes something. It transforms into something entirely unexpected over time. So this, this power that could be ours in the kingdom is not only somewhat mysterious and secretive, but it's also a gradual power. And I, got, <laughs> I make myself uncomfortable up here so much. So if I ever make you uncomfortable, just know I'm uncomfortable way more than you guys are. Uh, I, you can poke fun at your home team a little bit. And so, and I feel like I can do this about fundamental Christianity or the fundamentalists, which how do they get the name fun in there? They hate fun, right? And, but I can talk about this. So here's a little window into sojourn, like the progressive kind of more liberal out there versions of Christianity think that we're like the fundy ultra conservatives. And then the ultra conservatives think that we're like the liberal progressive people. And I'm comfortable that to me, that feels like a sign of the Lord's pleasure. Uh, Cause like, I see it on the internet all the time, like, Jesus was a socialist. And then someone will come in and be like, he's a free market capitalist. And I'm like, y'all are both crazy. Jesus is saying stuff that bothers both of you. Like, he's not interested in, like, which side of the political spectrum do I fall into here? He's got his kingdom that operates differently than what we're doing. So fundamentalist Christianity, of which many of us have have been a part of or been influenced, it's it's just really funny and a touch, it's a touch ironic to me. Um, because I, I hear this all the time. Like, I just went to Disney World, thank you, Lord, and having the side conversations or someone says something where there's this, uh, or so Disney comes out with a movie or like Harry Potter comes out with a book or somebody comes out with something that's kind of fantastic and magical and the fundamentalists will say, that's got witchcraft. You can't participate in it. Which, here's some of the irony. No one's ever said that about 
the Chronicles of Narnia, right? Like, <laughs> you mean with the singing lion who created everything? We have no problem with that. Um, and now as a disclaimer, because the, the Bible says no witchcraft, to which I say amen. And I, I'm nervous this will sound funny. And I honestly, I promise you, I don't mean it to be funny. Do not cast spells on people. Um, like the supernatural, maybe some of you have this morbid curiosity with uh, spiritual warfare or the demonic. And listen, it's only interesting or like there's only curiosity involved if you've never experienced it. It is no joke. It's not something to screw around with or it's not something because it sounds fun or you, you read Twilight and you're like, oh, I'm curious about this stuff or you read, anybody read Frank Peretti and like you're ready for it, right? Like it's not fun. It's not something to play around with. The Bible takes it very seriously. So amen, right? Don't cast spells. Don't participate in witchcraft. So we have this confession. But then... Are like the more fundamentalists of us, we, we treat the Bible as though it were a spell book. And, and we treat verses like magic spells. So we have a problem. Like one I see all over the place in our church is shame. And we carry around this deep feeling that I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy of being loved. There's something kind of like inherently lacking in me. And so you sit down with your friend and they, they go to a shame verse. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And they cast it at you, right? You have the shame and you feel unlovable. Well, I will throw the shame verse at you. And then it's like, then we wait for it to see if the spell worked or not. You come back to your small group the next week. And it's like, man, I'm just still, I'm still wrestling with this. And like, well, did you memorize the verse I gave you? Yeah. Well, then you didn't do it right. Try again. And the person with shame, we compound the shame because we used the Bible as a spell book and it didn't work. We, we cast verses at people thinking they have the power to change and we expect the change to happen overnight, right there on the spot. But listen, that is not how the kingdom of God works. Jesus mysteriously woos us and leads us on a journey of becoming. I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt of this, that knowing about the love of God, knowing a verse about the love of God will not heal your shame but knowing the love of God will. And those are very different things. Knowing a verse about God's love versus experiencing God's love. Change doesn't happen because you know some magic information. Paul, to a church that was kind of obsessed with the supernatural and weird stuff, he, he says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. So here's what he's saying. The kingdom of God is not a bunch of Bible babble. It's not just quoting a bunch of information about what God is like. It's about experiencing his power and living as though it's true, being transformed by it. And so listen, like if you've been at church any length of time, you know this is true. You know that knowing something is right does not mean you live like it or does not mean that you transform it. We're gonna be looking at the book of James in depth and I don't know, I'm, month or two. And, you know, he'll say in there like, hey, the demons have good theology, right? Like demons know true stuff, but they haven't come under its power. They're not living in light of it. So think like at our church at Sojourn for a long time, Christianity for us has meant a good word. Like that's a good word, brother. Or like good information. Or we're like, I'm, I'm proud of our orthodoxy, right? Like we've got really good doctrine and I stand by our confession of faith and the way we handle the scriptures and, and all of that. But for a long time, Christianity has meant only that, a confession, information. And yet, 
How many of us are plagued by the same sin, the same feeling, the same struggle that we already know is wrong? What did you do this last week that beforehand you knew it was wrong? You you felt bad while you were doing it because you knew it was wrong. And then you felt even worse afterwards because you knew it was wrong. And how much of that is compounded by the fact that so many of us are expecting this instantaneous, miraculous change. So listen, if you're new to Christianity, you need to know this book, okay? You, you need to spend a lot of time reading it and learning it. If you've been a Christian for a long time and you don't, you're not comfortable navigating this thing or you don't know this thing, like you gotta go back to the beginning, okay? Don't start on geometry if you don't know addition. How do I know if I know the Bible? Like, do you know, I don't know, like, can you summarize the book of Romans? Or what's your favorite epistle? And you're like, epistle? Then you need to start reading the Bible more, okay? But for those of us who've been in it for a while or you've been in this book for a long time, you have to realize, like, this book is not a spell book. The kingdom is not about new spiritual language. It's about power to change. On that day when Jesus returns, many will say to him, Lord, I've had so much scripture memorized. Lord, I I did all of these things. I started these churches or I did all of these missionary trips. And Jesus will say, get away from me. I never knew you. The kingdom is not Bible babble. It's the power of God to change and be transformed. Jesus is emphasizing this week what we said last week, that experiencing the power of Christ requires patience. A mustard seed does not become a mustard tree overnight. It's a gradual change, making you into something as different from who you are today as the mustard seed is from the mustard tree. And it's very hard to imagine what that will be. You have no idea what he will do for you, to you, and through you. What you will become is orders of magnitude greater than what you are today. So, Far too many of us discount the change that can be made in six months. How much could we really change if I gave myself six months? And to a greater degree, how much could I change given six years? The power of God in the gospel is a mysterious power, and it's a gradual power that reshapes us over time. So let's get a little concrete. How do we experience this power? Um, Well, number one, I would say, is to be born again. And this poor phrase, you guys, right? Like anyone just get nervous, don't raise your hand, but anyone just get nervous, born again? Uh, I get such a kick when people find out I'm a pastor and they'll be like, are you a born again Christian, brother? Um, Because listen, as far as I can tell, there is no other kind of Christian. Um, The idea that born again is a subset of Christianity, I think is kind of crazy. Um, it's, I get that being a born again Christian has all kinds of like political and social connotations to it. But like, listen, here's what uh, Jesus's best friend had to say about this. Jesus's closest friend. He says, you've been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. It's almost like a seed went in the ground, died and became something new, right? Like, To be a Christian is to be born again. It's not a subset of Christianity. It is Christianity. It's saying you have to be a seed and you have to die and become something new. Jesus is not inviting you to get one or two places of your life cleaned up. He's inviting you to be born again, an entirely new way of being you. 
So how do you know if I'm born again or not? It's not because I wouldn't try to find some moment of confession or some moment where something emotional happened. Like that could be true for you, but, but not necessarily. Like here's a much more difficult question to ask yourself. What's remarkable in my life? And I don't mean remarkable, like to contradict everything that I said earlier. It may not necessarily be something impressive or flashy or extravagant. I mean, how are you different? How have you changed? What is something you look at in your life and you're like, I just can't believe this is true. I just can't believe this has happened. How are you different? And you have no natural explanation. It may not be something that happened overnight. It could be gradual. It could be subtle. You may have to step back and take a look, but what do you look at in your life? Ways you're different and you have no natural explanation for it. That's evidence of born again power, of the power of the gospel coming and changing you. So like, listen, you can argue for Jesus. You can defend and share the faith. You can be an adamant apologist and read all of those books. But if there is no power, there is no faith. If there is no transformation, there has been no salvation. The kingdom of God is not a bunch of God talk. It's transformation by God's power. So what does that mean? To be born again means you look at your way of being you and say, I'm gonna lay that in the ground like a seed and I'm gonna come under the lordship of Jesus. Like, to be a Christian means you have to get to a point in life where you realize the way that you do you, boo-boo, like is not working out for you, right? Like you don't know how to do you that well because if you did, you wouldn't be where you are. Like, I remember my therapist saying to me, you know, the same stuff that brought you into my office isn't going to get you out of my office. And my head about rolled off, right? It's like, oh yeah, like I, <laughs> it's not everyone else's fault that I messed up, you know? And the way I do me, there's a way of living that seems right to a man. And in the end, it's death. And if, if that's not true for you yet, it's going to be very difficult for you to become born again. It's more than confessing that Jesus has forgiven your sins, which he has. It means that confessing he's alive and then standing under him as Lord, where once you were isolated, autonomous and self-righteous and stubborn, you say, I'm a citizen of the kingdom. Jesus is Lord and I'll trust him. When, when that confession comes, it's like, okay, you, you've been born again. You're, you're something new. And, and when you make that, don't make the mistake of, waking up the next morning and looking in the mirror and say, what's happened? What's changed? You know, the, the invitation is to patiently pursue Jesus after that. And, and many of you are born again, but maybe you're discouraged by the lack of power in your life. And listen, me too. I, I think for so long at Sojourn, we've fallen into this trap of, of loving the Bible more than we love Jesus. So we're far more interested in dissecting the Bible than drawing near to the heart of Jesus. And so listen now, because I made myself real uncomfortable in the last service. I'm going to do it again here. Um, listen, Christians are people who love the Bible because we love Jesus. The Bible is not the end. On the last day, Jesus won't say, well, like, hey, look, we memorized the Bible. He'd be like, but did you know me? You know, to the religious people who knew the Bible better than any of you, he said, you search the scriptures diligently, thinking that in them you'll find life, but it's they that attest to me. The Bible is a vehicle to know Jesus. It's one of God's most generous, glorious gifts to humanity. And so we read it to know Jesus. We don't come to it as a book to master. We come to it to be exposed. If you read the Bible a lot and it hasn't made you uncomfortable in a long time, you're just doing it wrong. Like if you've never 
The Bible calls itself a two-edged sword that will pierce you down between bone and marrow. And if you haven't approached it and felt that gut punch or felt like, oh my gosh, God is right and I am wrong, like you're approaching the scriptures poorly. We come to be exposed so that our, our roots might sink deeply into the person and presence of Christ. And that's the clearest way to understand this power of transformation. It's knowing Jesus and being known by him. And this means that when we read like God loves you in the Bible and everything in us says, but no one loves me. You don't just keep reading. You say, why is that? What are you showing me, God? Could there be something in there that God is using his word to pierce you and expose you so that he could heal you? Jesus is looking for people who know him. And this is what the Bible is for. There's lots of reasons to read the Bible, and many of them are worthy. The first and foremost is to read the Bible, to know him and experience his love for us. So we've written this booklet. Like We've got a whole bunch of things out there on the How We Grow wall called field guides. And they're meant to be like handy how-tos that you take out in the field to answer simple questions. Simple but profound, real difficult questions. And this is called taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How to encounter God in the Bible. Or to put it another way, how to read the Bible for the sake of knowing God, for the sake of relationship with God. It's free. It's on the welcome table. It's on the How We Grow wall all the time. This is a resource to help you learn how to read the Bible, to know him. Not just to know about him, but to know him, to be exposed by him, to, to be read by the Bible, not just to come to read it, to allow it to expose you. And I know this is confusing and it's difficult, but it's like historic Christianity. We are the oddballs in this, you guys. It's our generation, the last 30 or 40 years that have done this to the scriptures. So grab a copy of that. Just start approaching the Bible. Like every time we open the Bible, we should begin with some kind of prayer like, God, show me who you are. Jesus, show me where you are in these pages. So we have to be born again and patiently pursue Jesus. And then the fun part, I would just real quick, I would say is to listen close. See, because when you immerse yourself in the Bible, you're learning a new language. You're learning the language of God and you'll begin hearing the voice of God. You'll feel these nudges and you'll, you'll do stuff. Like you'll be in the grocery store and all of a sudden you'll look over and you'll see a guy standing, I don't know, by, I don't know, canned vegetables. And you'll feel this nudge, like I should go talk to that guy. And then most of us will say, well, no, he'll think I'm a born again Christian, <laughs> right? Like, so we say, no, I won't do that. But listen to that voice. You're like, what do I say? I don't know. Hey, man, buying some green beans. And, he'll, maybe, and you'll, you'll find crazy stuff will start happening. And he'll say like, you know, like I'm supposed to get vegetables. My wife usually does the, sh- the shopping. Um, she's got stage four cancer and she can't leave the house. And I'm kind of lost. And you can say, hey, let me help you. What do you need? Can you, you want me to take these? I can get some folks to come and bring meals to you. And all of a sudden you have this whole door open because you did something that felt a little crazy because you're learning to recognize the voice of God. When you hear that voice that says, don't do that. You say, okay, I'm not going to do that. You know, maybe it'll seem small. Maybe it'll seem insignificant. Don't respond to that email. Don't accept that friend request. Don't send that tweet. Like, I don't, I don't know what it is. Uh, go do this. You can do that. If we start listening to that voice, over time, we will hear the voice of God more and more clearly and the power that will be present in your life will overwhelm you you'll be able to look back and say, I don't know how this happened because it was like a seed that got put in the ground and one day you'll wake up and be an oak of righteousness, as Isaiah would say. You'll be this huge mustard seed. You'll see the leaven of the kingdom has encompassed every part of your life. So be born again, patiently pursue Jesus and then listen close. And it's, it's staggering how Jesus invites us to remember this. It fits so perfectly with this illustration that he gives us for his kingdom. 
Uh, so he says to his best friends, he takes a loaf of bread, right? And it wasn't like, I don't know, organic whole grain and imported from fresh market. You know, it's like bread, bread, just normal bread. This thing they would have seen every day and he completely transforms it. He says, when you see this bread, I want you to think of my body being broken for you. About how will my kingdom come? It's unexpected, it's mysterious. And now when you see this entirely ordinary thing, know that it has the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. It has the power to completely transform you. After the meal, and it's different in our culture, but they drank wine probably every meal there. So he took this totally common cup of wine, and he said, when you drink this, don't just see this normal, ordinary drink anymore. Remember, it's my blood shed for you, and drink this to remember what I've done for you. This seals your relationship with God. It's not what we do or don't do. This forces us to beg the question, what if that's true? What if we're loved because of what Jesus has done for us in the gospel? What if we're saved because his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us? How will that affect the way you listen to that voice whispering to you day in and day out? If, If you're here and you're not a Christian, I want you to know that people around you have experienced remarkable change. People are transformed here. And the only prerequisite for you to experience that power is knowing that you need to change, Uh, is, is a longing for transformation. And if you come to Christ and receive this power, you will experience it too. If you're a Christian, come and experience something that's totally magical and mysterious and also incredibly ordinary. The body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. Come again to the wine and the bread and enter into the mystery that is the gospel, that you are loved, you are safe, and you have unbelievable power inside of you. Our tradition at Sojourn is to rip off a piece of bread and you can dip it in wine or juice. Wine will have a piece of twine wrapped around it and we'll have gluten-free elements to my left and your right. Um, I'll pray and then Christians, we can uh, come forward as we're ready. Let's pray.